Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash recommend today. After a lot of thought and consideration, I will be reopening my recruiting process. When I committed back in February, I was still planning on taking a few unofficial visits over the summer. The pandemic hit and prevented me from taking those opportunities. I have to get this right. I want to make sure that I make the right decision on where I continue my football and educational career. The new FSU staff has been great from the beginning. I just don't want to look back later in life and say that I made a hasty decision. I would never want to do this behind the scenes and hurt FSU's recruiting. They have been great. I just want to make the right decision for my future. Brandon Jennings, linebacker, the Sandalwood High School. That was the news that we woke up to this morning. Uh, Monday morning, Florida State's top-rated commitment, Brandon Jennings from out of Jacksonville, Florida, Sandalwood High School, the number six-rated outside linebacker in the country, the 81st best player overall on the composite, posted a note saying that he was no longer committed to Florida State. Um, This came as a shock, really, to all of us. I'm sure it came to a shock to you, too, Chris. You were in Jacksonville just about, what, eight, ten days ago to speak with Jennings? Ten days ago, a week ago this past Friday. I went over there, sat down with him, talked with him in Coach Geist's office area for about 15 minutes. I've obviously known Brandon and his father a very long time. I've known his father since he played here and then after his Mm -hmm. career here. You know, I went over there in part because there's been some rumblings about other schools trying to get in. I asked Brandon about it. He said he was being respectful towards other schools if they talked to him. But he also said at the time that they know I'm committed there. I think it solely comes down to an on-field performance factor with him and trying to figure out if this is the right place for him. I don't really know if anybody could blame him for that. I mean, FSU defensively is not very good right now. They're a one-in-three football team, and – Yes, he's a legacy, and yes, in some ways, people feel like he owes FSU something for that, that there's some tie there. But in reality, there isn't. It's ultimately a business decision. It's about doing the best thing for his future and figuring out where he fits the best, can excel the best, can improve his future the best. And, you know, I think that's the point in the process he's reached. I reached out to him today after the decommitment. Mm -hmm. Didn't really pick his brain on why he decommitted. I think his note speaks for itself. Um, Yeah, somebody's been watching football. Yeah, FSU is going to be in it. Um, I don't think he's walking away from FSU entirely in this process. But I asked him about, you know, let me know what other schools are definitely in this. And he told me he'll get back to me on that. But, mm-hmm. you know, we updated his list of offers. I think his profile currently reflects his correct number of offers in the schools that have offered. I know Maryland's a school that's been trying pretty hard to kick down the door with him. I'm sure there's plenty of others. And I'm sure his phone's been quite popular today with his decision to open up. So that's where yeah. things stand. Yeah, I know people are first going to ask, well, do we have a shot with them? Um, for us to say either way right now, we really don't know. It's it's far too early to say. But 
just knowing Jennings and the way that him and his family operate, I do think FSU will still have a chance. Um, more often than not, recruits don't end up back with the school, but I think FSU will still have his ear. You know, like Chris said, him and his father are very uh, kind of mild tempered. You know, they, they, they took the process um, in stride. They're not big look at me type people. So I don't think he's doing this just for the attention of it. Um, if you're an FSU fan, you can completely understand. You watch the games. Why a top recruit that has other options would maybe open things up. Um, but it's a huge blow to Florida State's recruiting class. Uh, the 2021 recruiting class dropped. Um, I think they were ranked at number 18. They're now 25th in the country. They have 16 total commitments. And now Luke Altmeyer out of Starkville, Mississippi, is now the top-rated commitment in the class. Uh, Chris, just how oh, do gosh, you – I thought you were going to say Luke Altmeyer was going to decommit when you started there. Thank God. No, don't I'm be, saying Luke Altmeyer. Don't, don't be negative over there, buddy. Don't be negative. You want me to be positive today? Is positive energy only. Okay. Positive Monday. Okay. Well, I was going to get to Luke after this, but Chris, what do you think the significance is of this decommitment just to the overall picture of the class. Well, it doesn't send a great message. You know, classes are sometimes built by momentum of big time guys committing at the top and others following suit. I think it can work in a reverse method, especially when there's some negative storylines that can be associated with it. You know, legacy backing off his commitment defense, currently a mess on the field, yada, yada. So I, I think that's a negative. And the bigger thing to me is FSU's defense isn't going to get better if they don't get better players. And Brandon Jennings is most certainly one of those guys that I believe could help them down the road. And I don't currently love their defensive class. You know, with him out of the mix, you've got, you know, Sean Bray Jackson, very, very good football player committed here recently. You've got a Marion Cooper and Hunter Washington who are ranked high. And then you got guys like Jordan Eubanks, more of a developmental type, Joshua Farmer, a body in transition on the defensive line. Uh, Byron Turner is another body that still has to figure its way out a little bit. It's not a defensive group class that I look at and go, man, that's that's going to be what helps this defense take the next step, what's going to help improve. I feel like it's a lot of guys that you're kind of hoping pan out and you got to develop a great deal instead of some guys that seem more like sure things. Brandon Jennings, to me, was much more like a sure thing. So that, that to me is the biggest negative of this decommitment. I think it also is the first kind of, I don't want to say domino to fall because hopefully these aren't a bunch of dominoes falling, but we've expressed concern over Luke Altmaier and the Ole Miss situation. Not, maybe not concerned, but we have legitimized it. I mean, we, you know, Luke has admitted to it um, that he is talking with Ole Miss. People asked him about Bama. He said, no, not really. It's really just Ole Miss, but here you go. Um, Ole Miss lost this weekend as well, but they're toe-to-toe with Alabama. Um, and this kind of shows that nobody on the commit list is truly bulletproof. Um, if, if a legacy recruit from the state of Florida can reopen his recruitment, anybody on this list is, is viable to open up their recruitment at this point. The kid did it. He committed to FSU with his dad's game-worn FSU jersey. And so in theory, that was as solid as they could have gotten. You would think, yeah, yeah. But he is also the most talented and has, of all the players on the commit list, has the most options to look at. So um, I wouldn't write him off completely. I don't think this is goodbye forever. Um, I think that they'll have an opportunity, you know, especially if they're able to host official visits. I think Brandon Jennings would give them an official visit. Now, we don't know if that's going to be possible. As of right now, it's not on the calendar. So, you know, we'll see. 
Chris and I were talking this morning. I was doing my morning walk. After I got off the phone with you, Josh, I gave Chris a call. You're setting up some other stuff for, for episodes later this week. And Chris and I were kind of going over the game plan of things we wanted to write. And one of the one of the ideas that I threw to him was like, I want to write about personnel that FSU can do defensively to kind of fix things after this debacle last week against Notre Dame. Uh, multiple debacles now on defense. And, uh, and what realistically can be done in season how they address that with the current group of coaches and players they have, if it can get better. And Chris was talking about spinning it forward to how you can impact this defense positively via mm-hmm. recruiting. And Brandon Jennings is the first place, like my mind goes, like, okay, you have this versatile chess piece. You can play any linebacker position. He's a badass. He had two safeties, I think, this past week. And when you look at I know we're going to get to the Notre Dame game, but you look at the way the defense played against Notre Dame and allowing 350 rushing yards plus on the ground. What's the one position, both answer three, two, one, uh, that you that you would say was the most disappointing on Saturday? Three, two, one. Defense. Middle of the defense. Oh, linebacker. Never mind. It didn't work the way I wanted. I was going to say middle well, linebacker, I mean, but I really, at the last second, thought, damn, it's just the whole middle of the defense. But yeah, there, I was. There wasn't a. There wasn't a segment of the defense that was good on Saturday. <laughs> I mean, they played better down a stretch in the second half, and the goal line stand was a positive moment. But let's be honest, there were massive failures at every end. J-Rob early on getting his head down, getting run by on that first play. Linebackers being out of place, just truthfully playing completely miserable outside of Amari Gaynor. And Emmett Rice played a good second half, but he struggled mightily in the first half. And then the secondary, the safeties weren't safeties. They weren't the safety net that ends big plays here and there. And, you know, Asante Samuel Jr. got bullied to some uh, extent, still played a pretty good game overall, still a guy who graded pretty high, I believe, on the defense overall. But the other cornerback spot's been a major issue as well. You know, Jones got run by on one play, for example. So there's nothing about the defense right now that's a positive. You talk about positives on the defense, you probably say Amari Gaynor, Asante Samuel Jr., end of conversation. Yeah, for sure. There's very little. And even then, like Asante Samuel is your best player, your most consistent player on defense, and he probably had his worst game of the season on Saturday, largely because they put him on an island, and sometimes a smaller corner is going to get beat by a bigger guy. But mm-hmm. there are issues that we're going to get into with this, this FSU defense, and uh, the frustration that maybe you're hearing in my voice is the knowledge that, one, the glimmer of hope that you had right now already in the boat, that you thought, okay, moving forward, Brandon Jennings is going to be a guy in a year who's going to help elevate the bottom of that room immediately, maybe even make an immediate impact to to raise the, the uh, ceiling of it too, can play multiple positions, and that's not a guarantee anymore. And that was me going into this week being like, oh, you know what? We felt better about, like I was coming, I was looking forward to talking about the things we were looking forward to about this, this program after a gritty performance at Notre Dame after showing growth. And that's yeah, why I'm frustrated. That was undercut a little bit. Well, I, you know, we're going to probably touch on it further in this one and obviously future ones, but they're going to have to kill the portal. Like that's the thing. That's where they're going to have to fix his defense. It's not going to be through high school and Juco recruiting. I don't think Juco's a maybe we'll figure that out. That's still developing, but high school wise, you know, you try to get a guy like Jennings back in the boat, but how many other guys are they out there truly involved with in a good spot with defensively that are going to be difference makers. There's just not many that you can point to. And if things aren't going to open back up and it doesn't appear they're going to any sooner than January and the early signing period is still going to happen. There's going to be three quarters of the blue chip types off the board at that point. So it's not a place you can go for a fix. Not not an instant fix for sure. Um, I don't, you know, I looked into some uh, JUCO recruiting this morning. Uh, 
was told FSU is not currently active with JUCOs, but we've been reporting that. Um, we know Jalen Williams, the defensive tackle, has some connections to the FSU staff, but um, offensive line, I mean, it was a weak offensive tackle class heading into this JUCO cycle, and then without them playing, it's really hurt junior college recruiting. Um, so I was told that, you know, FSU is going to go hard in the portal. Like Chris said, grad transfers, instant impact type guys. That's what they've got to get. And it's just not going to happen on the recruiting trail, not in 2021. Let's take a quick commercial break. Market Square Liquors. One day, I promise we will have positive news to talk about at the top of the podcast that we'll transition into before mentioning you, uh, but but not today. So I do want to thank I you. think this is probably working out better for them. Honestly, yeah. If they want people listening, this is probably gonna garner garner some listeners. Oh, I thought they. I, I was talking like like drinking alcohol. Yeah, just more business. It's a there's more in demand right now. I mean, that's a great thing about alcohol. Depending on your relationship with it, mine's pretty pretty healthy. Uh, it can be something to help you, or you know, it, it can help you either way. If you want to drown your mm-hmm. sorrows, it's there for that. If you want to celebrate, it's there for that. It can really be an enhancer if done uh, appropriately. But I do want to thank Market Square Liquors as our sponsor. They are located off of Timberlane Road, North Tallahassee. It is an, an exquisite selection of liquor, beer, wine, and uh, and the lounge next door is top-notch, uh, first-class uh, bar with, with an amazing bourbon selection. So if you're local to Tallahassee, please make sure you're stopping by there and, and keeping your, your liquor cabinet nice and full through Market Square Liquors. And if you're traveling in town or, or through town, they're right off I-10. That's a good place to go ahead and, and pick up a, a bourbon to bring back to your collection or whatever else tickles your fancy. So thank you, Market Square Liquors. Let's kind of dive in a little bit more to the Notre Dame game. I know you guys did a really nice thorough job with the Instant Reaction podcast. I was jealous, once again, not to be there with you guys. Uh, but but we got to rewatch the game on – well, Chris and I actually – it was adorable. We rewatched the game on Sunday simultaneously. We're going play for play, giving notes – Chris, I don't think there was anything like that was a huge takeaway. Like Emmett Rice was one that we saw on a replay that he looked better and flashed more than maybe during the game. But generally speaking, was there anything on the second viewing for you that that stood out that maybe wasn't evident on on the first one? I drove home to believe on some positive and some negative performances. You know, I thought Babyon Johnson played pretty poorly among the offensive line. I thought Robert Scott played pretty well, for example. Um, Terry, very good game. First watch, very good game. Second watch, I was even more impressed by. I thought it was one of the best games he's ever played in his time at FSU in the sense of being well-rounded with and without the ball and making effective plays that helped the offense prosper. Jordan Travis, very pleased with I thought the second viewing drove home to me more than anything. They tailored the offense extremely well to be a positive for Jordan Travis. And that that's probably the greatest takeaway I took away from the second viewing. I want to focus on the positive real quick. And there were two names that you mentioned there, Chris, Jordan Travis, Tamori and Terry. Real quick, I'm just going to throw this note out there with Tamori and Terry. Uh, you mentioned it was his best game ever that we've seen. And I agree, like in terms of just being complete, of not just being a deep threat, but being more than that. Even the passing, the long uh, touchdown pass to him, it wasn't just him running a go route. Like he does this double move where he has the cornerback one-on-one and just completely shakes him. Jordan Travis throws a nice ball to hit him in stride for the touchdown. Uh but catching contested passes, blocking on the perimeter, it was all there. It's kind of now or never for him in terms of like he wants to play in the NFL. He's shown that he can do one or two things. People call him a one-trick pony. No, he, he's showed he, he can. he's capable of giving you more than that. So that was a positive. This is just a few weeks ago, they were calling him out. They were challenging him. He was someone who had a bad showing uh, against Miami while not 100% and had the sideline meltdown. 
what did you think of of that aspect of it? Because I think that that's an encouraging thing is that he's someone who seems to be buying in a little bit, which is obviously really important. Well, if this team's going to improve this year on both sides of the ball, it's going to take veterans like that practicing the way they have to play. And based off Mike Norvell's comments before the game, immediately after the game, and then again today, as well as Kenny Dillingham's comments today, it's pretty clear that he's taken to that, specifically to Tamori and Terry. Um, they also mentioned Pokey Wilson, for example, today as another guy that's seen, and we've seen improved results from him the last two weeks. So I think it's a matter of it, the proofs in the pudding. If you practice at a high level, you're going to probably play at a high level, which makes me very concerned if the defense is playing this poorly in games, how poorly are they practicing? And I, I do think the frustration last week, I believe it was Wednesday's practice from Mike Norvell, I think was very much centered squarely on the defense. So you know, that, that's one of those areas where if we start hearing glowing reviews and practice again, I know nobody's going to take them seriously because we heard many in the preseason and obviously that hasn't panned out. But I think at this point, if we're hearing individuals mentioned and it's in a glowing manner, I, I think there's somebody we can maybe bank on. And that that's where they, at, they are at as a football team. They have to improve on a daily basis in their approach to everything and then take the confidence that's built through practice and take it to the field and do it. And it's a great thing that's happened with Terry. It shows that the messaging can't get through to somebody. There's just a heck of a lot of guys that have to take the message. There's a lot more messaging to continue to do uh, just four games into the season with seven remaining. Josh, I want to get your thoughts on Jordan Travis. I woke up the day after the game on Sunday, feeling like FSU has a quarterback to build around, whether it's the next few games, the rest of the season, maybe even longer than that. Uh, Am I overblowing that and thinking that that FSU has a legitimate building block for the, let's just call it the foreseeable future? Yeah, he is. But I'll go back to what I said last week before this game. I just don't think that it's sustainable. The way he plays to be effective, his health is at jeopardy. Um, We saw him popping up from hits in the beginning of the Notre Dame game, smiling, big smile on his face, going back to the huddle. But by the end of the game, you had like his teammates pushing him from behind, like helping him up and him kind of cringing at his ribs. Unfortunately, Jordan Travis can't really do it from the pocket in through the air. It's just the style of football he plays. He has a banged up hand this week. Um, What's it going to be next week? These these hits, these games are going to take a toll on him. Um, But do I think that as long as he's healthy, He's the short-term solution. Yes, I agree with that. That's what gives me confidence for the long-term future of the program. Not not Jordan Travis necessarily, but the fact that Mike Norvell, a couple games into his, his tenure here, made not one but two changes at quarterback and playing the results through basically two full games now, it seems to have, seems to have worked. This is an offensive-minded coach who is developing an offense successfully. We're seeing the growth right in front of our eyes, the efficiency, the identity of the offense. You have this power rushing attack with the quarterback. You have Damian Webb uh, being utilized in a way that's really exciting. We mentioned the wide receivers, Lawrence Tofilly. You see a coach, his strengths, what he's known for, are coming to fruition. Him being creative, him understanding personnel. Uh, I think that was something that I took away from Saturday's game as being really, really optimistic for is, is if he's handling his business and what he, on what he's supposed to do, that probably portends to him being able to get other things done down the line, like special teams. The fact mm-hmm. that the special teams has been good says that Mike Norvell, like when he's spending time on what he's committing to, uh, that gives me hope for, for what he's building in the future. But, but we have to be honest, guys, the defense is a, is a concern. And I really, 
I'll throw this out to either of you. I don't know where to start on possibly fixing that group in season. I think we need to stop approaching it like we can fix it. You think acceptance is this where we are in the process and acceptance yeah, for right now? Uh, I think any improvement of that group is going to be minor and incremental. It's not going to be drastic. It's There's not the Jordan Travis of the defense who's going to step in and change the dynamic. Now, caveat to that, I think Hampson Nazarene would be a huge lift. God, him cleaning, would, up all, him cleaning up would be so big, just, just right. that alone. Because, for example, in this game, and I asked Adam Fuller about it today, and he made the point that not all times is it's a safety's responsibility to be the last line of defense because sometimes you're using them to bring pressure. They're lined up more in a man situation or their zone responsibility is taking them out of being on the back end there. But in a lot of instances, it is their responsibility to be the one that makes sure play doesn't go for more than 15, essentially. Anything 15 and under is what they're going for. You know, if the linebacker or the defensive end is beat, and right now they're not doing that very well. Renardo Green's been the best of a bunch, but he's had his misses too. Would be struggled mightily. Um, Hampson Azardine would be a massive lift for that group. He is a janitor. He is a guy that cleans up the messes, and they need that. And I, I think that's the one guy that's out right now that would certainly help him a great deal. Travis Jay would give him a bump too, definitely improve the depth. But I think Hampson Azardine is a big jump guy. But even that, in consideration, he doesn't create a better pass rush, in my opinion, for them. You know, they're still going to have linebacker issues. There's so many issues that it's right now for them more than anything. Get your assignments right. Line up the right way. And if you have an opportunity to make the play, make the play. Make teams earn it. You're not suddenly going to become this dominant defense, but you got to make teams earn it. Just, you know, allowing chunk plays of 60-plus yards, 40-plus yards in run game where there's no challenge to the opposition. It's not going to fly. You could hear it in in the coaches speak today. Um, And I think that's – kind of what hit me when Chris said acceptance. Well, I don't think Adam Fuller was dodging questions. I don't think he was spinning them. I think he's just accepted what this year is. And it's it's about kind of figuring out the pieces that you have, trying to improve them just incrementally week to week. But I don't think you're going to solve any of these major problems during the season. I want to address this aspect with Adam Fuller. I'm happy that you mentioned him specifically with this, Josh. There's an interesting dynamic occurring among the fan base, among our message boards. I know it irked Christopher Knee a little bit. I'll give him the platform here to, to delve into it a little bit. But there's this knee-jerk reaction. That should be a sponsor. We call it knee-jerk reaction. And it's when Chris Knee gets to be a jerk for two minutes. Anyways, it's this reaction that we have where people want to place all the blame on Adam Fuller or all the blame on the personnel. The truth is defensive personnel is not playing very well, especially in the very heart of the defense, uh, the defensive line, inside linebackers, and the safeties. That's pretty piss poor right now in every imaginable area pretty much. Uh, Marvin Wilson's underachieving. Corey Durden still doesn't look 100%. Robert Cooper got pushed around. I know he was playing with the, the banged-up hand. He got pushed around more than we're ever used to seeing him play. Young linebackers, veteran linebackers, Leonard Warner is just not helpful at all. He's a detriment when he's out there. Uh, and the safeties we've we've documented, those guys aren't getting it done. But that also, I mean, falls on on coaching. I don't know if it's scheme necessarily, but if guys aren't tackling, if guys aren't trusting what they see with their eyes, that they don't know where to go, how to fill a gap, uh, that ultimately is the coach's job to fix. And that's clearly not getting done. So to me, it's both. I think you can say there's frustration on on both sides right now. It's on Adam Fuller to find a way to fix it. 
Yeah, it's about messaging. People love to say, oh, you're, you're talking about the scheme. No, I'm not solely talking about the scheme. There might be scheme fixes. I don't think there is. I don't think there's drastic ones. And there is no doubt that the personnel has been bad. They've played 25 players on defense, and we can, we can name two that have been good. So that is speaking to the fact that they have a lot of personnel issues, and there is no free agency. There is no magic fix, and those guys are not playing well. And there is no doubt a lot of it falls on the shoulders of the players. But there is also something to messaging. There is also something to coaching. There's also something the coaches getting through. And I think the coaches readily admit that when they talk. John Papuchas today, Adam Fuller today, when they were discussing the defense as a whole and their specific unit in Papuchas' case, it's about messaging. It's about being consistent, building confidence in the young man, and making them go play better. And it, it's not going to become drastically better. But I think if you asked Adam Fuller in his heart of hearts, is are things going well for him from a coach to player perspective currently with this defense? I think his frank and honest answer with you would be, it has to get better. And that's the truth. And that doesn't mean Fuller's a bad coach or doing a bad job. It means that it's not working and it's something they have to keep working at. And they've had, you know, four games, a couple preseason uh, scrimmages, obviously of preseason practices, but that's essentially the time they've had together. Sometimes it takes time. The offense got a huge, you know, boost a huge jump when they went to Jordan Travis but there were other pieces that also came together LaDamian Webb started running it better obviously it was available Terry's kind of turned a corner Robert Scott's been a nice piece at right tackle on the defense they don't have those things to point to so it is a lot of personnel stuff there's a lot that players have to do better but I also think Adam Fuller and the entire defensive staff is struggling right now to get that message conveyed to their players in a manner where it is producing results, which is ultimately what they are doing as coaches. Coaches are teachers and they have to teach their players to play better. And there's an element of that being simply building confidence for the guys to go out there and do their jobs correctly, not miss assignments, line up the right way, finish plays and do things. Well, I'm not saying X's and O's lining them up in an alignment that suddenly creates a pass rush. I don't think that's magically coming, but there are things they can do to improve this defense and to completely excuse coaches from the equation. I think it's just, it has no nuance and I think it's idiotic personally. You know what? I don't understand as part of this equation, or at least one thing that I've struggled to, to kind of comprehend and come to terms with Adam Fuller at Memphis improved that defense quantifiably in many different ways in his lone year there his year at Marshall and a little different because he was on the coaching staff there before but his year going from an assistant to the defensive coordinator Marshall made pretty big strides in several areas at Chattanooga uh, same deal when he was a defensive coordinator there it made jumps and so that's one thing I've struggled with is like he's done it at multiple levels at multiple stops before obviously not at Florida State's level we've seen that before with coaches come in here and struggle to make the jump with, with this level of competition, but I've had a hard time kind of comprehending like how he's been able to implement his scheme successfully in other places in year one. And here it just seems so constipated and such a struggle. Yeah. I think he's a capable coach. I'm not trying to dismiss him. I, I certainly think he has proven in his career that he is capable of coaching defenses, finding improvement and coaching them to have good results. It just hasn't happened at FSU really in any regard through four games. They have not played well on that side of ball at any point this year. It's very tough to point to and say that's a positive. And at the end of the day, it's a results-based business. There's a whole lot that goes into those results. But it's a results-based business. And the results for the defense is that they're among the worst in the country. And hey, they had defensive issues before Adam Fuller was hired. And there's a reason that Mike Norvell got hired. And that's because FSU has stunk 
for several years in a row. And there's a lot of players that have been bad now under three defensive coordinators. So it certainly falls on those guys. But it's about trying to get better as a football program. It's about trying to take steps forward. And Adam Fuller plays a huge role in that along with his defensive staff. And that's where they're at. So next week, I want to see a football team that comes out and tackles better, lines up better, communicates better. It looks like they understand what they're trying to accomplish better. They've really struggled with that great deal in first halves of games. I mean, Miami and Notre Dame kind of named the score against them in the first half of two games. And those are both damn good football teams. I'm not trying to take away from them, but FSU has to be better. They have to put up some form of resistance. And against Miami, they made them work for it far more than they made Notre Dame work for it early on. But it's just it's got to be there with some level of consistency. And at this point, there is none. The only thing they've been consistent at is being bad. I'm going to read a couple numbers here to you guys, and we could turn the page from this game unless there's anything else you want to talk about. But I think that's everything. I'm going to go down the line here from FSU's defensive line. Basically, guys that were coming back from last year. Janarius Robinson had nine tackles for loss last year. Marvin Wilson had eight and a half. That's only nine games. Corey Durden had six and a half tackles for loss. Robert Cooper had five. Joshua Kano, two and a half in three games. So that was 31 and a half tackles for loss for FSU's defensive line, key defensive linemen last year. Those same guys all back this year. They haven't all played in every single game. They have two and a half tackles for loss between them. Jeez. If you extrapolate that throughout the course of the season, like they averaged about 0.6 tackles for loss per game between them last year this year it's 0.27 yeah i mean and teams die when they have no pass rush and or no or no, they, they, or no just playmaking ability forget even getting to the quarterback the sack numbers are bad too They're, that's a bit down about a third two-thirds as well yeah but no negative plays too i mean they have right. one against notre dame if you can't put a team in bad third down situations you're gonna lose and that where that's where I don't know like where the scheme makes a difference uh, because Odell Hagens was coaching that defensive line last year. He's coaching them this year. Uh, for them to have this drastic of a drop off, I know Coop wasn't a hundred percent on Saturday. I know Corey Durden's coming off the shoulder deal. Marv, I'm really not sure what's going on there. It doesn't make sense to me. Uh, but if you're not right there, if you're not good in the middle of in the heart of your defense, nothing else is going to they have no ability to hide the linebacker play right now. If it's not Emmett Rice, no one else is really consistently playing at any sort of respectable level. That's the young guys and the old guys. It's just yeah, Amari Gainer. Amari Gainer. I don't I guess I don't consider him a, a middle linebacker when I think of him. Chris, would you move Amari? Would you take the chance of moving while you mentioned him of moving him from stud to either Fox defensive end or middle linebacker to get him closer to the play? Well, the issue with that is then you're playing either someone like Deloach or you're moving would-be down to stud. You're moving a lot of pieces around the table. I don't know if it's effective because I don't know if Gaynor is going to be as good of a football player production-wise playing Fox, being more matched up in a true honest sense with an offensive lineman than he is as an outside stud linebacker flying around the field and trying to make plays. So I, I think you're, you know, we love the saying, robbing Peter to pay Paul. I think that's kind of the issue there. I don't, I don't think FSU has enough players playing at a high level to move a lot of guys around and not have a drastic fall off at another spot that essentially you're fixing one weakness by making something else weaker. That's where having a healthy Hampson Nazarene would allow you the flexibility to start making some, some moves with the chess pieces. I had him way too low on my most important players list, just seeing what they are without him. I, I was way off on that. He's, He's probably a, a top five most important player as it stands right now uh, because of how how he can impact the game with his versatility and just, frankly, how 
pedestrian other players kind of in the similar range of him playing either a similar position or the exact same position I've, I've played this year. So we don't feel very optimistic about the defense. I think that's that's fair to say right now. And like Chris said, maybe there's kind of an acceptance process to this. I don't know. I still think you can become far more close to average than where you are right now. I think the ability to improve exists, uh, but right now we haven't seen it. So it's fair to, to say I probably – probably not super optimistic on, on Chris's end. I understand. Uh, let's see, finishing up the podcast here, some house cleaning. Chris, there was a time change. For whatever reason, that story just popped today. So FSU is supposed to play North Carolina at 7 p.m. on Saturday. Now it is 7.30 p.m. Did the TV change as well, Chris? Yeah, it went from ESPN to e- to ABC. The reason for the change, Baylor, Oklahoma State was postponed due to COVID issues mm-hmm. that allowed that window to come open, which is why FSU got moved over. I don't think the late slate on Saturday is very good. I think there's pretty good early games, but I don't think there is around 7 to 8. All right, then there was uh, the point spread release. UNC's given 10 points, uh, so I don't I don't know if we uh, – would you put money on that, Chris, for FSU? Uh, G- I, I like, I'm giving you I, the points. I like my money. I'm not betting on FSU right now. I do I do think that UNC is a team that FSU can sneak up a little bit on if they play some semblance of defense. Um, but they're going to have to score a lot. You, you're not going to beat UNC scoring less than probably four touchdowns. Josh, are you throwing any money on that game? No, I choose to lose all my money in the stock market. How's Mark doing right now? Mm, it's about $1.25. All right. All right. It's, it's hanging It's hanging in there, though. It's not going down. It's kind of plugging along, plugging along. The depth chart was released today. Nothing super different with the change uh, changes there. Jordan Travis solidified as quarterback one still. Uh, Chris, real quick, what did Mike Norvell say about his his hand? He seemed to kind of take the wait and see approach, but I got the feeling that we'll see Jordan Travis start and, and play on, on Saturday. He said he was, uh, I believe, limited on Sunday, um, that he's banged up, but he doesn't believe it will be an ongoing issue as the week progresses. When he talked about him for other questions, like, or when he answered other questions and talked about Jordan Travis, he said, I'm basically excited to see how he does and improves this week. So I, I think that's safe to say that we'll see Jordan Travis, whether he's 100%, I don't know. He was pretty banged up, as Josh said earlier. The only other changes are on offense. Wide receiver Tamori Terry now listed as the sole starter at his wide receiver spot before it was an ordeal with Ontario Wilson. Kind of like a somewhat of a demotion after the Miami game, uh, but that's that's been changed now. Obviously, after the last two weeks, and Ontario Wilson kicks over to the other wide receiver position on the depth chart as the starter. Both those Ashburn boys have played very well. The only other change that I'll mention was at the offensive tackle spots. Darius Washington did not play against Notre Dame as he was dealing with a leg injury from that he sustained against Jacksonville State. Devontae Love-Taylor, who's been at right tackle and at right guard, starts at left tackle, stays there for, I believe, almost the entire game, if not the entire game. Robert Scott gets to start at right tackle. So Love-Taylor is listed as an or starter at right tackle and left tackle. That seems to be contingent on Darius Washington's health. Although I'm not entirely sure like if Robert Scott lo- leaves the lineup at this point. I don't think he does. A um, couple other injury-related notes to the depth chart. Hampson Nazardine listed as a co-starter. That's been consistent in the last few weeks. Norvell was asked about him today in sort of a roundabout way. Said it remains day-to-day, week-to-week. They're not in a rush to get him back out there until he is fully healthy. And uh, I asked about Thomas Schrader. He's listed second team at guard, I believe, behind Babion. But I may be incorrect. He may be on the other side behind Dante. Um he almost started the JSU game where you remember Dante Lucas was suspended. 
but he got rolled up on his ankle, I believe Norvell said, on the Wednesday leading up to that game. He's dealt with a couple different injuries, setbacks here during the preseason and the early regular year. That's kind of prevented him from getting out there, but I don't think he's far away from getting an opportunity if the guard play doesn't improve. And Johnson has been the worst of the two guards. Lucas has also struggled and obviously had the other situations that prevented him from playing. So the win, the door is slightly ajar there, and I think you could see another freshman get a shot. And we'll see if he can take off. They they were really, if you remember, they were higher on Thomas Schrader with the preseason camp than I think even Robert Scott. They liked them both, but I feel like Schrader got a little more praise a little bit early on than we saw Scott, and Scott's obviously excelling at a pretty high level for a true freshman right now. Introducing the two-way V4, where groundbreaking fuel cell technology meets fresh foam cushioning for the ultimate performance. With fuel cell, each step feels explosive, delivering unparalleled energy return. Paired with fresh foam, experience maximum comfort throughout the game. Its lightweight textile upper offers support and breathability without sacrificing agility. Whether you're hitting the clutch shot or locking down the opposition, the two-way V4 gives you the tools to play at a high level. Learn more and purchase the two-way for yourself at newbalance.com. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. I just thought of an idea for the offensive line. Bear with me here, Chris. When Darius Washington is able to resume to the lineup, do you think we see Devontae Love-Taylor stay at left tackle or kick over to right guard to help Robert Scott? Or, here's my thought, because that's that's what they, they were doing before. What if you put Darius at right guard to help out Robert Scott? And then you have Devontae Love-Taylor on the left side where he's done all right. And especially now the way they run their offense, uh, I think it makes less of a difference on what position you play. But I have him as the calming presence next to uh, one Dante Lucas. Uh, I'm going to trust Alex Atkins. I think okay. he's the one guy on the staff who's shown more than anybody who knows what he's doing with his bunch and that the communication is working with his group. So I'm going to trust him there. I think Love Taylor's greatest value is still a guard, and he's obviously very good at helping to lead other guys. So if he can be kind of that linchpin that either helps a Dante Lucas maturity-wise or Robert Scott with it all being new to him, I'm all for it. Um, but I, I think – for them, continuity is going to become a big thing with that O-line. If they're going to continue to take steps, especially with Jordan Travis, it's going to be important for them to kind of settle on a five they can truly trust because Travis is the kind of guy that you need to understand every little thing of how he does it in the game. And the only way guys are going to understand that is having repped it in game situations. A couple of weeks ago on the well, first off, Alex Atkins, if you're listening, just take my suggestion. It's a great one. Uh, a couple of weeks ago, we were finishing up the podcast and, and Josh had an unfortunate comment of saying he was at a had never been at a full seven for the Mike Norvell trust meter uh, and, and said said full five, which a little innuendo there, Josh. I don't know if you meant to do that, but people noticed. How are you feeling about Mike Norvell now after the last two weeks? Blended, though, with the Brandon Jennings. Like if you said, so you, two steps forward, one backwards. How are you feeling on the Mike Norvell as the guy to get it done scale on the one to 10? Well, week? if you asked me last week and I was at whatever I was at. I think it was like 
two weeks ago. I think it was before the JSU game. You ask me now, they squeaked one out against JSU and then they got demolished on the road against Notre Dame. They didn't get demolished. I mean, Notre Dame was, they ran, they did what they wanted with them, at least on offense. Um, Yeah, they scored four points, but look, not a lot has changed since then, except that FSU lost their top-rated commitment. <laughs> and, and we've also learned that, you know, since then they've emptied the benches and we've learned that there's no solutions there either. So um, give me like 0.5 less than I was before. All right, I think you were at a full five before, so 4.5. So, yeah, I'm four and four. a half now. We call that a Sinone. In, in I'm, I'm trending slightly up because I'm trying to be positive here. And I, I do think Norvell has shown a lot of extremely positive traits for a head coach about trying to address the, the roster in certain ways. Obviously, I would like recruiting to be a little bit better, but I'm going to play a little bit of the circumstance game there and give him a break. I think he's shown that he knows how to coach X's and O's that he knows how to try to get through to players. He knows how to run an organization, which I think is a very important thing. He's done a good job with trimming the roster. And I've been pleased with that. The offense has obviously taken a step forward. Defense obviously desperately needs to. So I'm slightly uptick forward, but not drastically by any stretch. Shocking, but I'm going to agree with Chris here. I'm a little bit more optimistic. The offense looks like it knows what it's doing. It's the first time we've been able to say that. When was the last time, guys? Think about this. When was the last time that you exited a game? Because I exited the Notre Dame game feeling a little optimistic about the future. When was the last time you left any sort of game covering FSU where you felt legitimately like, hey, we got we can maybe be something. We can maybe move in the right direction here. There's something to build on. When was the last time you felt that way? Well, during the Tiger era, I think of the NC State game with Blackman, but they still were very bad defensively in that game. I think about the BC game when they beat the ranked BC team, which is their last ranked victory since the start of 2017, I believe. Um, those are two moments I can point to, but legitimately, I think back to the Michigan Orange Bowl. <laughs> the last time I was optimistic, uh, probably after the Wake Forest game in 2019 when I was told that the boosters were going to find a way to get Willie Taggart out. I would say 2017 after, uh, after the bowl game against Southern Miss, you had a new coach. So you had that optimism. James Blackman had had a nice stretch to end the season. Uh, There was some feel good going on, but the last time we had a sitting coach who, who did something that made me feel good like legitimately like okay i'm confident with what they're doing going forward uh, probably 2016 orange bowl new coaches are always optimism it's like the christmas toy it's new it's fresh it's pretty we all like it then vt happens <laughs> or georgia tech no i still play- felt i still felt much worse after vt than i did after georgia tech yeah the coach elicited a little bit more confidence but you know let's not get into the apples and apples to comparing game here people are gonna get mad at us let's not do that let's just let's be positive moving forward today wasn't a great day for fsu tomorrow i promise is going to be better promise all right for josh newberg chris knee i'm brendan sinone this has been on the bench thank you for listening uh, sunshine and lollipops on the next podcast i promise
Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can waste another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can conquer it. I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. Any road. The steeper, the better. Because my all-new Santa Fe is available with H-Track all-wheel drive, so I can hit the trail without a worry in the world. Heck, with three rows and best-in-class rear cargo space, I can pack the whole family in with all our gear. We've got available dual wireless charging for our phones, so we'll never lose touch with civilization, and we won't lose touch with the primordial power of Mother Earth. So which is it? Waste the weekend or do something a little more epic and conquer it in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey.